Welcome into another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. We'll talk more about Barber, the Long Beach sale rumors later on in this episode. But joining us now, it is the driver for Team Penske, Scott McLaughlin. Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. All right, guys. Appreciate you having me. So, Scott, the Indy Open test last week, I, I get that the calendar is just about to flip to the month of May. The Indy Open test, you were 10th. What were your takeaways uh, from the car, what the team is prepared, and, and what the new aero changes and, and different options you can do? How, how did you feel in the race car? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's hard to tell. You know, testing at Indy, you know, there's a lot of games being played uh, by everyone, really. Um, but you get a form guide in terms of, you know, people can't help themselves but try and get a toe and put a fast lap up. And, um, you know, it's, I think we've got reasonable cars. Uh, there's been a lot of effort behind the scenes of Team Penske. We know that it hasn't been the, the greatest, um, you know, few years at the, at the Speedway, um, you know, up to, the, up to Roger's standards. So a lot of hard work's been on to, you know, make sure we're better. Um, we've got to bridge the gap for Ganassi, who have been, you know, above and beyond everyone right now. So I think it was a solid test for us as a team. Uh, where we shake up, I'm not sure. But, you know, as a driver, it's always good to get back to the Speedway and get some you know, laps around and, and, and feel those speeds again because there's just nothing like it. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't believe it when I got out there again. It's my third year and there's still new things that I'm learning when I get into the draft and figuring it out. And, um, you know, I don't think you'll ever stop learning there. Losing that second day as a guy who has a couple of years in the series, a couple of Indy 500 starts, how impactful is that for you to not get that second day of testing that was scheduled? Yeah, look, it's, it's really not too bad. I mean, we, we got a lot done as a, as a, as a um, series. You know, a lot of, there was a lot of laps turned. I think, you know, in the end, it was probably the right call, you know, just to pull the pin. It had been a big trip back from Long Beach for all the teams. Um, yeah, we, we want to get as, many, as much running as we can do on track. But at the same time, you know, we've got to look after the people in it and make sure that our cars are even better you know, come May. And uh, with no mistakes, and you know, best thing we can do is get some rest and 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 figure that out. So I think it was a smart call in that regard. We probably could have ran in the afternoon, but we had a really good day. Um, you know, I don't think an extra two hours would have really changed a whole heap of things, or at least impacted us a ton. Um, but I think we we learned a ton on the the day before, and and I think it uh, will set us up really well for um, you know the month of May. Scott, one of the things that uh, the fans love about the Indianapolis 500, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it's so unpredictable. You never know what uh, how cars are re- going to react in different situations and different weather conditions. Yet for a for a team, for a driver, how frustrating can that be? Because you always seem to be chasing it in Indianapolis because you may have a front wind or a tailwind or a headwind or the temps and, and all that. How frustrating can that be as a team, despite all the testing time you have in May, because you never really know for sure 100% what you have depending on, on weather and the conditions. No, it's, it's, it's so frustrating. I mean, it, a lot of it really dictate, is dictated by the draw that you pick for qualifying, and that's just completely random. I mean, if you get an early draw, hey, most likely you're going to have a little bit more cool attempts, um, yeah, and you'll probably, if you've got a fast enough four-lap average, you will most likely won't have to run again. If you have a late run, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, because it's really hard to hit that downforce level. The heat changes, the sun comes out. You know, the minute the sun comes out behind the clouds or it goes away for, you know, someone's four laps, that can be, you know, half a mile an hour difference. So 
it's it's difficult as a driver. You're constantly looking at the flags around the speedway, you know, figuring out where the wind 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 goes and where it dies down. And that's half the reason why I crashed last year in the race. You know, I I prepared for turn three like I was going in there with a a, a strong crosswind, and the wind died down and the 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 car was too set up, you know, too on the nose, too much front, and I lost the rear and I hit the wall, you know, and that's why it's so hard to win this race because it's just you have to be perfect. Perfect. There's so many different elements, as you say, and, you know, but that's why we all come back every year, you know, thinking we can do it because it is just such a wild card. Is there any track that you've raced at in your career, IndyCar or even uh, supercars, that's comparable to IMS in terms of how much it can be affected by weather conditions? Uh, not, 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 not as much as I've seen at Indy. I mean, I, a lot of people always talk to me about, you know, watch the flag, you know, you know, we'll get some sun here and it's going to slow the track down. And I didn't really believe it. And so I actually got into it and it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. It really is the way that, that how the track is built and how big it is and the speeds we do and, and, and what can change with the elements. So, you know, it is the same for everyone. Unfortunately, sometimes you get the, the bad end of the stick in terms of that, but you've really just got to prepare as best you can and you know, hopefully you know you have a little bit of luck on your side and you can put a pretty strong lap up. Scott, we shift to Barber coming up this weekend as the series goes down to Birmingham, a, a great natural terrain road course. Your team has had a lot of success, but Joseph Newgarden perhaps being the guy at Barber Will, Willpower also having success there as well. What are going to be some keys for you this weekend? Is it really all about qualifying to put yourself in, in the best position? Yeah, qualifying is important. It's going to be uh, for sure. Uh, it's, it's a race. I think I saw a stat that I think the last five races, you know, the average person, uh, average finish, every average starting position on someone that's won, it's been like two point nine or something. So you got to be out the front of those first two rows. I mean, we qualified really well last year. We qualified fourth. Um, you know, I, I was fastest fastest at the test about a month ago. So I feel really comfortable with that barber. It's a track that I really enjoy. Um, but again, we're talking about weather. I think it looks like there's going to be a little bit of rain. So that really means anything for anyone. Um, but I think we should be okay. It's just a matter of dotting our eyes, crossing our T's, not worrying about too many other things you know, outside of our control, just focusing on what we can control and we'll be okay. But it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool track and a track that I really put up there on on the highest level of commitment that I've ever been to in my career. And, and I've been to, you know, Bathurst and obviously Indy and Barber is, is a tough track and, and fast and flowing and, and, and really does require some bravery, which I really enjoy. Scott here at the po- podcast, we swear off talking about points till after Indy. We just do it here at the podcast. And uh, I don't know if we're for better or for worse, but but for you, and, and people say, well, you don't focus on points in the month of May. But for you, how important is this weekend to at least put yourself in an advantageous position entering May where the focus more goes on winning the race as opposed to the points? Because um, it's not necessarily a slow start for you, but at the same time, 10th and points right now is do you start feeling the pressure already in april or is it something where you're, you're just trying to to take an individual you know race by race right now and worry about points later in the season yeah look we can't you know sit back and say that we're not worried about it at the same time you know we, we want to be a little bit further up but if we look at our results you know st pete unfortunately yeah you know crashed out finished 11th could have been a lot better you know that i, I feel like we've really been on for sort of two, uh, three top six results, but you know, 
Long Beach, we had a, a mechanical failure. We managed to finish 10th, um, but we were running really, you know, third or fourth at, at one point. So, you know, I, I feel like our pace has been there, so we don't have to panic on that regard. It's just a matter of just executing. And I think this stuff will, this stuff pays back. You have, you know, people will have some bad races. It's a matter of just being consistent. And, and, and when you have your bad days, making sure they're not too bad. And I feel like that's what we've done so far. It's just unfortunate that, we've, you know, we've had more bad days than good lately. But, um, yeah, I, I look, no, I, I, I want to win the Indy 500 more than anything. And if it comes down to it on final lap and I need to go for a big move, I won't be worrying about the championship at all. Like, this is, this is for me, is something that I, I want to win. Um, but ultimately, every other race after that and, and before that is, is really prepping ourselves. So we're there come the final round um, with a shot to win. Scott, when you look at your teammates with Joseph Newgarden and Will Power, they have a lot of experience racing in IndyCar, a lot of ex- experience at IMS. What have you been able to kind of learn from them, and, and did that play a, a big role in making a big jump from your first full-time year in 21 to what you did last year, getting a, a trio of wins and, and finishing fourth in points? Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think even my first year with Simon Pagenaud, part of the fold, you know, I think, I had three of the best speedway races, you know, as teammates, and and then you know for me to be um, then building with Joseph and and Will and um, you know learning off them, it, it's and and the way that they approach things, you know, Joseph and Will do approach things, you know, pretty differently um, in some ways, but you know the way that they extract their speed is very similar, and you know, it's very you know especially at the speedway, it's very um, easy to replicate that in some ways, um, but. You know, it does take a lot of bravery. They've got the confidence. They've got those years under their belt to, you know, really knock you know, knock down a heap of laps at a high speed at a high risk rate, and and they just know that they're in their window. Um, and I guess that's the hardest thing as a rookie is just building that confidence, understanding those windows, understanding when you're risking, when you're not, because sometimes those speeds you can feel very numb. You just don't really know, you know, what the limit of the car is. But um, you know. I've had my first crash in Indy now, so <laughs> I've knocked that knocked that out of the road, and I can sort of maybe know exactly what the limit is and and feel where it is, and and uh, I think I've learned a learned a ton in the last year, and you know hopefully that bodes well for me at the speedway. Scott, when you look um, on track, and we saw you have that epic battle uh, at St. Pete, but we're, we're talking about drivers that you feel most comfortable with in battling in terms of you know it's going to be fair they're not going to put uh, you in a, a bad position just to try to gain position uh, outside of your teammates who I'm sure you never uh, have problems with um, who, who would you feel most comfortable with uh, you know touching wheels racing side by side with on track in IndyCar oh uh, look I, to be honest I, I think everyone is pretty good for the most part I guess the people that you're most uncomfortable right now is the people that you haven't raced a ton with so that probably be the rookies but you know, for the most part, everyone is pretty good, especially when it comes to the speedway. You've got to have this level of trust that, you know, you're going to be able to race them reasonably hard. Sure, there's a few people that you think, oh, maybe I'll stay clear of them or whatnot. Um, but, you know, the, the Ganassi guys are great to race against. You know, I, I really enjoy racing Alex Rossi, Pato Award, um, Felix, you know, all the McLaren guys. All that top bunch, you know, it's, it's quality racing and it's really respectful. And I think that's why you see a lot of, you know, us drivers, we, we, we get along you know, reasonably well off the track because when we go on the track, it's just hard racing. There's no BS. It's just this is what it is, and you just get on with it. And it, it's, it's a pleasure to race them. It really is. And, and I've come from a, 
a theory that was very political and, you know, especially off the track. And I just feel like that's not really a huge, you know, not that well seen here. You know, people just get on with racing, you know, real races and really enjoy it. But definitely enjoy racing the more experienced guys, the Ray Holds, Dixon, um, Power. They're, they're good fun and you definitely learn a lot of each, each lap that you run with them. Scott, you mentioned kind of a different style of racing from where you came from in, in supercars. With IndyCar being laid back off the track and then everyone locked in on the track, did it, was there an adjustment period for you as far as just kind of the, the attitude and the way guys uh, are, are friendly around each other in the paddock? No, I mean, not really. I mean, for me, it's the, the biggest adjustment was like, oh, well, these guys just get on with it. There's no, you know, they don't really hang out that much, but, you know, it's respectful. You see each other, you, you know, you get on with it and race hard. Um, and then if you've got a problem, you go straight up to them and you say, here's the deal or you confront them and that you know like I said there's just no BS and and uh, I, I love that and for me it wasn't it didn't take that much of an adjustment you know I've always been a person that I try and separate my personal life as much as I can away from the sport um, I, I love you know going to play golf and you know getting away from the sport a little bit and and um, and not hang out with the people in it as much until I get to the track. Because sometimes it can, it can just be a lot. And that includes my teammates. And, you know, IndyCar, that's sort of how IndyCar works. And, um, you know, even though it looks like we, 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 a lot of us hang out all the time, but, you know, it's, it's not like that. Everyone has their own lives. They get away and, and we enjoy, you know, our time away from the sport. And I think it's really healthy. And that's why you see uh, a lot of respect and, and camaraderie there. But, you know, look, if it comes down to the last, the last lap of Indy 500 and you're side by side with Pato Award, I guarantee you I'm coming out of turn four first. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, in, in reference to the schedule, because so many fans say, well, we wish we had more than 17 races, but in terms of how it compares to supercars and definitely other series with, with Cup having 35 plus and even now Formula One approaching 25 a season, how does it lay out for a driver and you guys' preparation and development over the course of the season? Do you wish maybe there were more races because we say, man, we, we wish we had consecutive weekends? Or is it kind of a breath of fresh air that say, hey, man, we, we got a race weekend, but we're not going from, from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Central uh, part of the, uh, the country as well? Do you like the setup of a, of, a, of, a, of a season that maybe doesn't have as many races as other series? Yeah, I think the the hardest thing for us at the start of the year is probably just the stagnant sort of start, you know, the race, yeah. month off, race. I mean, if we could minimize that, which I know they're, they're really working on right now, um, you know, that, that, that'd that be great. I mean, I, I love the you know, week on, week off type spec, and then maybe in the middle of the year it's crazy, but that's what's awesome about it. I enjoy March to September. I think it's a smart deal to get out of the football season um, you know, to be, a, you know, be NBC's, you know, one of NBC's biggest sports in that period. Um, I think that's a smart deal. I, I think, you know, yeah, would love one or two more races, but the whole reason I really came to IndyCar was, you know, I, I, it was, yes, it was a different challenge. It was an opportunity, but, you know, I, I think if I was 21, maybe I would have gone down the NASCAR route and raced 38 weekends a year with one off weekend. That would have been awesome. But right now, you know, I'm close to 30. I actually really enjoy having a life off the track and doing, you know, 18 odd races. Maybe that goes up to say 20 or 21. I'm not sure in the near future, but I think that's, I think we're at a really nice number. It's just about making sure, I guess, the, the, the stops, you know, we don't have as, 
my wife's alarm's gone off here, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we don't have as many, um, you know, stag- you know, we don't stop as much at the start of the season. I think we've got to get some con- consistent racing going. But I know Roger and the team at Penske Entertainment, they're all working on that. So I think we'll see some changes in the near future for sure. We at uh, we fans in IndyCar, we're always looking for more events and international events. So your hometown of Hamilton, New Zealand, how, ca- how ca- have you mentally put together a street court race, street course race that we can run in Hamilton, New Zealand? Why not? Let's put it together. Well, they did race their supercars back in the day, um, and I did race there once, which was really cool. But I, there is, I, there's no doubt in my mind if we had, you know. If we IndyCar were able to go down under, whether it was in Australia or whether it was in, um, you know, in, in New Zealand, I have no doubt we would have 300, 250, 300,000 across a, a few days. It's, it is huge down there. When I went back to Australia and did, um, you know, some promotion stuff, I was doing some uh, commentary for the Supercar Championship and, you know, I did some um, signing sessions for my fans back there. The amount of people that knew exactly what goes on and people that were, um, you know, tuning into the races at like 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, which is difficult, or recording them. They knew exactly what was going on, and that was really, really cool. And um, I think it's, a, a, it's seriously, uh, we, we could really whet the appetite down there for our racing. Um, they really enjoy it. So my complete dream would be to do a doubleheader with the Supercar Championship, kind of like they did back in the day. I think we could, we could race in the morning, you know, we could race in the morning and then the supercars could race in the afternoon. Morning for us would be prime time here in the U.S. at night. Um, it, I think it, it could really grow into something really cool and I know that Australians and New Zealanders would love it. So who knows, but that's I'm just a silly driver that's got big ideas. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Scott, before we let you go, uh, you're a big sports fan, fan of the Knicks. You're in the playoffs right now, looking pretty good. And the Carolina Panthers holding the number one pick. Who do you want the Panthers to get a quarterback? Well, I'm hearing Bryce Young's a guy. I think uh, he fits our playbook pretty nicely. Um, and I heard that I, I got, got some uh, got some mail, and I heard that his cognitive test, or the, you know, the stuff that the test they do to take on information, was a little bit better than Stroud. So, who knows? I don't know, but uh, I think Panthers are building nicely. I just hope they make the right call with that pick. But I, I think another one is like. They got pick thirty nine. That's going to be the the interesting one. What they do there, whether we get another pass rusher or or something like that, or, or a defense guy. But yeah, Knicks are in the playoffs. That's my main focus right now. Knicks are playing tonight. They're three one up. They're in Cleveland. Hopefully, we get it done. And and if they do, I'm going to try my very best to get to Madison Square Garden the week before Indy Indy five hundred up. The week before, you know, Indy next week, and uh, try and um, yeah get to a game before I go because I have to attend a playoff game at the Mecca for sure. Scott McLaughlin joining us, driver of the number three team Penske IndyCar. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time this morning. Good luck at Barber this weekend, and good luck coming up in the month of May. No worries, appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks to Scott McLaughlin for joining us on the show. Some other stories to get to. We mentioned the sale of Long Beach. It's a, a pretty big deal. A stake of it for sale. Marshall Pruitt had the article out uh, earlier. Let's see, it would have been late last week. This comes after Kevin Kalkoven died uh, last year. One of his racing assets by his estate. He owns a 50% stake in the Long Beach event. He purchased it with 
Jerry Forsyth, who was one of the cart owners back in the day. Remember, they they bought this in 2005. Rumored sale price of $15 million. They split the cost. So that was when the event, I mean, you, you go the next handful of years, not exactly prime time for, for that event moving forward. And after what happened a couple weeks ago with the, the biggest event crowd since 2008, they were saying that's a pretty big deal. Clearly, this event will be worth a lot more, and you'd have to think that F1 and NASCAR, as Marshall Pruitt says on Racer.com, they've made attempts to buy the event and replace IndyCar as its headliner over the years. I'm sure they'll try to do the same, but here's the positive side. Um, Forsyth is not expected to relinquish that other 50%. Right. And I think you have to take that into account here. Now, who who could bid? You know, IndyCar is among the rumored parties. And it's a lot. It's going to take a lot of money to buy that 50. I, yes. Uh, Kevin Kalkoven's estate is going to make <laughs> quite a bit of money on their stake. Like, like you would, you could easily argue that the sale price, you know, the, the 15 million, like, what would you put this event? I, like, I don't even know what to put it, put it at as far as price. Should like at 50 least. 50 million? I should, he should 30? at least double his investment. Exactly. You would think at least, but here's the situation. I, I guess I, I don't know if, if this is something or nothing because it all depends on who buys the other 50% stake and Jerry Forsyth can be, can be convinced. I imagine if he can make more money, if cup or formula one are racing there and cup currently doesn't have an auto club speedway date. What's their cl- they have a, a Sonoma date, right? So other than that and Vegas, what are their West Coast races? They don't really have one. So uh, it, we expect the Chicago street race to be a one and done thing for, for NASCAR. They've shown a willingness to try outside the box things with the clash and with the Chicago street race race. Who's to say they wouldn't make a bid for this, let alone Formula One. I know they have a deal with, with Las Vegas and people are saying, well, three is enough, but who's to say how many races is enough in the United States, particularly if the popularity continues to rise for formula one in the United States. So I don't know if we're making a lot about this when we shouldn't, or there's legit concern about the future of this event being on the IndyCar schedule. Those other two entities want this event. There's no denying that. And for formula one who used to race there, this would be another crown jewel street race for them. The thing is, at what point do you have so many events in the U.S. that you're kind of oversaturated in the market? And and you could say, well, Southern California is different. Well, Southern California plus Vegas plus Coda, which seems to be the only fan-friendly event that F1 has in the the U.S. And then Miami as well, as far as the the East Coast race date. I mean, if you can get Long Beach, if you're Formula One, you're dropping, in my opinion, Miami or Coda. Yeah, you, you drop after one the, of those. Yeah, after, like, contracts mean nothing for Formula One. They'll find a way to get out of it if they could get Long Beach. So that, that's the concern here is I, I think there's legitimate concern, particularly with the Formula One push and a Liber, Liberty Media push to acquire that 50% stake. And then I just don't know who has primary control like they're 50 50 but who's who has veto power who says this is what we're going to do or is it a 
legitimate 50-50 stake and they both have to agree on what what the race does but if formula one comes in acquires the 50 percent stake and says hey mr forsyth you can make three times the amount of money that you're making now with formula one racing at long beach who's to say he wouldn't go yeah absolutely let's do it and remember this is the same guy who didn't come over after the split ended he has no a loyalty to indycar no his loyalty to the event loyalty to his bottom line loyalty to make money so I do think it's a, it's, it's a concern for IndyCar, and I just don't know if, if the easy answer is, oh, Penske buys it. That's a hell of a lot of money to spend for Well, b- b- would that quell fears that people have as far as Penske's investing in IMS, and as far as IndyCar goes, it's just we're, we're trying to make money and, and not lose money off of it. Like, this would be a clear investment, and... We're not seeing a lot of investment on the IndyCar side. We have, as far as at, at IMS, as far as facilities and improvements and things, but as far as IndyCar as a whole, it doesn't feel a, a, a whole lot different since Penske took over. But that, to me, then tells me that they're not interested in buying, paying what? Uh, conservatively, what do you think? $15 million yeah. for that 50 million? 15 to 20. At least. Uh, that's, I mean, what's the operating budget for the IndyCar series for a year? It can't be much more than that, wouldn't you say? Or it could be less than that. That's you, you a factor, hell of a lot of, and they're not investing in that. So why would they yeah, invest millions? TV money, sponsorships? Yeah. I mean, I have no clue, but it's certainly not a hundred million. Like at no. most, what would it be? Like fifty? And and a lot Man, of that, that is like a hell of a lot of money. You gotta think about all the money though they're paying out as far as the team money. I mean, that's right. twenty two million right there, roughly. As far as the leader circle. Yeah. If 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 Roger Penske and Penske Corporation had fifteen million dollars to spend wouldn't you think they'd already be doing it in IndyCar? I as would opposed to spending I fifty million. Think, but it's also the series isn't profitable and, and hasn't been for quite some time. And I mean, the event Long Beach is profitable, but even then, you don't hold a controlling stake, from what we understand, just a fifty percent stake. And it it'll take a while to to make that return back, even if it's say fifteen million dollars. I just don't think that's a real chance an opportunity for IndyCar to buy that. I, I just don't see it. I think that they want to be in the business of more promotions of races, but not having to spend $15 million for a stake at a, at a long beach grand prix. I, I don't think IndyCar will even make a bid for it, to be honest. Now could Roger Penske himself, you know, yeah. that's different. Well, I think they're one in the same in this meeting. I, I don't think Roger Penske and Penske Corp, want to buy the Long Beach Grand Prix, 50% stake in the Long Beach Grand Prix. I, I don't think they want to make that investment in the series or with one race. I think his love is is IMS, and I don't think he wants to get involved in something like that with Long Beach Grand Prix. Meanwhile, uh, speaking of things being for sale, there are reports from PlanetF1.com that Liberty wants to buy IndyCar and turn it into American F1 feeder series. We've heard that before, right? This isn't anything new. I'm I'm not that concerned from that aspect because I don't think Penske's going to give up the series if it doesn't mean that they don't have control you know, over some of the events and things like that. And, and IndyCar, their response, no truth, completely wrong as far as the, the rumor that IndyCar could be sold to Liberty Media that owns F1. Going to need more reputable source than yes. what Planet F1 for Correct. something like that. We've heard it before. I have no 
doubt that Liberty Media would have would like to have. I mean, they made a they made a bid right for yes. the IndyCar series and IMS when Roger Penske bought it. I don't think there's any truth to the rumor that this is any more imminent than it was before, but I could see a scenario at some point where the Penske Corporation sells the IndyCar series and keeps the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at some point. Do I think that's any time imminent? No, but sometime in the future, maybe. I could see that a couple years down the line. But as long as Roger is at the helm, yeah, I don't see anything changing as far as no, that. No, I don't think so. I, Roger, we, we anticipate, we always assume Roger's going to be around forever, but the fact of the matter is he's not. And he's at an advanced age where we feel like uh, like people holding higher office are, are, are at his age or even younger being incapable of doing their jobs, capable. Um, so Roger's not getting any younger. He feels ageless. They always talk about him as being ageless, but he's not. And at some point, he'll be gone. And then what's the business look like then? And what are the priorities for the business then? The priority, in my opinion, even with Roger Penske around now, has always been since his acquisition, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the top priority. And the Indianapolis 500 is the top priority. And IndyCar is secondary. And you can argue against that and, and the problem, but the fact of the matter is, is one makes money and the other one doesn't. And as a businessman, he knows to pay attention to the stuff that makes money a little bit more than the stuff that doesn't. So at some point, could I see the two being split? Yes. But I don't think that's anytime relatively soon within the next year or two is what I'm saying. I think they have the transition in place. It'll stay within the Pinsky family. Greg Pinsky will likely take over. I, I just don't see major changes happening, uh, e- even when Pinsky's no longer in charge. Especially if they go against the wishes of what Roger wants. Correct. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind. All right. Race weekend this weekend coming up at Barber, the Children's of Alabama Indy Grand Prix. So look at your schedule for the weekend. Friday we'll practice 240 to 325 Eastern. Uh, excuse me, no, 340 to 455 Eastern for IndyCar Practice 1. Again, Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio, all the outlets. Uh, Saturday morning, uh, actually right at noon, it'll be noon to 1, practice 2. Qualifying 3 to 415 on Saturday afternoon. There will be a warm-up on Sunday from 12 to 12.30, so a later race. And again, uh, 3 to 6, the TV window on NBC on Sunday. Green flag approximately 3.15 or so for this event. Weather okay. looks a little dicey for race day so wouldn't, far. Wouldn't hate it. Now, you're saying what chance of, of thunderstorms is what we've seen? I would like just uh, nothing violent or anything. I don't want a torrential downpour, but if it makes partial wet race, I think it could add some intrigue. Yes, I, I think so too. And this is an event. I mean, they've had several rain races over the years. Saturday, the weather, and look, we're recording on Wednesday, so it's still pretty far out. But Saturday, the weather looks perfect for qualifying. In fact, uh, the last time I went, I'm trying to think of the year, maybe in 2018 or 19, uh, the the weather was great for one day and then it rained on race day and th- they had to move it like to Monday. So um, this, is, this is a great event. I, I hope it draws a great crowd. 
the weather though as a factor as someone watching from TV and not at the race. Yeah, I would enjoy looking it. forward to that aspect if yeah. it happens. Likewise. And 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 luckily for you, we put together a drinking game of sorts for Barber. And the beauty of this is it could carry you through the entire weekend. You could play this on Friday, Saturday, <laughs> and Sunday for that matter. And so we put it together and you can play it with either beer or shots or whatever. But basically it's either take a drink, take a shot. When Barber is compared to Augusta, uh-huh. as you know, that'll happen a lot. Yep. They'll show the giant spider that I think is named Charlotte. Yeah. Show the spider. Now it's not just a background shot. Like it has to be in the foreground, the spider. Okay. So there's rules here. Uh, NBC shows the museum or talks about the museum. Great museum, by the way. It is a great museum. But anytime you hear great museum, take a shot or take a drink. <laughs> and then point standings are mentioned or shown. And that's probably what gonna, what's going to put you in the hospital across three days if you play this game. So uh, it's not too difficult for parameters. Barbers compared to Augusta, giant spider, museum, point standings. There it is. Will, will the grounds look immaculate like Augusta? Yes, of course. They'll talk about that's so what they have to talk about. This is the Augusta of motorsports, and they've done a great job, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, it's tongue in cheek, but I guarantee you that stuff is going to be talked about and shown. And it's a great way to get inebriated if that's your thing. And you can play it Friday, Saturday and or Sunday. It's beautiful. And you know, the point standings one will be brought up. Oh, relentlessly. I can't say the word. Relentlessly. Thank you. Totally. Particularly Friday and Saturday when they're looking to fill practice sessions and all that stuff. We'll talk about point standings. We won't until next month, but you'll definitely get plenty of that. This weekend on NBC. All right. So we've gone down the schedule. We've gone down your drinking game for the weekend. Yes. Let's pick some winners here. Okay. So am I going first this time? Yes. All right. So I look at Barber this weekend and, you know, who's dominated this track of late? Joseph Newgarden. Precisely. And and more is, you know, Penske. More than that. I think, and this is a homer pick. Because we had him on the show, on the podcast yeah. today. I'm going Scott McLaughlin gets a dub at Barber this weekend. And I'm going to go with one of his teammates. I'm going to go with Will Power getting the win. Okay, so it's a Penske party. We yeah, feel. Penske party. That's that's my prediction. And Scott Dixon, in fact, we'll get into our uh, three things from Chad 200. I forgot to get to those. Some good good stuff from him on these. Scott Dixon's never won. Right. Never won it at this event. So that's, I think, the number one takeaway on all this. His other uh, three key stats. So 9 of 12 races won by a top three starter. So keep that in mind. Dixon, as I mentioned, nine podiums. Only driver to finish top 10 in every race, but never won or started on front row. Power, two wins, nine top fives, eight front row starts. Most laps led at 212 all time. And then an addendum for Dixon. He's made the Firestone Fast 6 in 11 of 12 races. Never started on front row. Started third, fourth, or fifth ten times. Only driver to complete all 1,051 laps in the 12 Barber races. He's won at 25 tracks, but never at Barber. Interesting stats there for Scott Dixon. The defending champion, Pato Award. What kind of weekend do we expect out of Pato, Caleb? I think a bounce back, probably like a top five, but I don't know. It, this is a track where Penske has not really shined a whole lot early in the season. I think that really changes though. Come this weekend. Yeah. I expect some, uh, some dominant Penske performances out of somebody or somebody's and my pick Scott McLaughlin, yours, Mr. Will power. So that's our preview for Barber coming up 
this weekend. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free. You'll get uh, emails every week with our new episodes, plus any special announcements we make. And you can always uh, buy a t-shirt or sticker via the store on the website. Uh, You can also follow us on social media, IndyCar Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. Email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash new track record. Thanks to Xavier Rob Stitch and others for their support. Again, starting at just as little as $1 a month. And as always, listen for free on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, Castbox, Player FM, Podbean, what have you. You can always listen in on your favorite podcasting platform. All right. Mailbag time for this week and plenty to dive into, especially talking about the Long Beach rumors. So we go back to what we had late last week. Jeremy from HBG just need that second shoe now. And this, uh, the story, Motorsport Games CEO Dimitri Kosko steps down. So Nathan Brown, a couple of good stories talking about all of that on IndyStar.com. Could iRacing take over? Is that a possibility? They buy out motorsport games. We can only hope, right? Yeah, we can hope. At this point, what's the end game here for motorsport games and IndyCar? Because there's various options on the table. Nathan Brown's done a great job at IndyStar of breaking down what could happen and what the situation is. Does an investor all of a sudden infuse a lot of money into motorsport games and allow some of this stuff to happen? Does IndyCar basically said it's a breach of contract and get out of it and try to find somebody else? to where it could be iRacing or whatever in terms of the companies doing that to try to develop a game. Uh, what What's the end game here? Or do we just go continue to go with IndyCar's blind faith in motorsport games' inability to do anything competent with lack of money and significant debt, and we just continue to go not only without a major console game for IndyCar, but also a major presence within iRacing as well. I, I really don't know what direction this ends up going. And that's the thing. It just, it doesn't feel like we're any closer to a conclusion. No, not at all. It just seems like it's, uh, it's in development hell at this point. And what does IndyCar do? And you feel like the urgency is there to make something happen because you're seeing NASCAR continue to come out with yearly games and formula one coming out with yearly games and, where the direction goes because I think you're going to more and more skew to younger demographics if you're trying to pull them in and it's tendency the younger demographics to play the console and the video games so what happens here uh, does does motorsport games basically continue to kind of um, bring IndyCar along as it tries to restructure or does something really tangible happen by the end of the year because if you listen to to IndyCar you feel like they still feel like they could have a beta version of this game developed by the end of the year. And right now it says you're shaking your head. It's, there's just no. no chance of that. No chance. No chance. And even with the limited amount of resources, both uh, monetarily and in terms of of actual employees, it's going to be next to impossible to do that. And even if it does, this is some half-assed effort to get a game out there that's clearly not up to snuff. And that, I think, is the worrisome thing is more so if it's, I'd rather have no game than bad game, 
is what kind of what I'm getting to. I would agree because a bad game doesn't help you. It, it no, it, it, it just, actually hurts it, you. It hurts way. you, right? So at that because this is one of the major efforts, and if you have a bad game out there to, to poor sales and poor reception, then what does it do for the future of gaming for IndyCar over the next say decade? It destroys it. Yes, that's that's the biggest issue. All right, you posted this poll after the conclusion of the Indy 500 Open Test at IMS. This was last week. Who are you taking to be the 34th qualifier and miss the race? 58% of you said the field, nearly uh, 42% said R.C. Enerson on the poll. A couple of responses here. Jeremy from HBG said, this is tricky, but I feel someone will be overconfident and completely miss the mark. Chris in the sixth field, someone's going to crash out. And DC Soda feels like missing even the little amount of time people got this week. Remember, Friday rained out. Uh, is going to put them behind. It'd be interesting to see if they've got pace since all the other one-offs are on established teams or Dry and Ryan Bull has a good track record at the Speedway already. So, Able Motorsports, RC Enerson, not part of the open test, which we said, if it's not, then why bother, right? Yeah. And I think we still have those concerns. Now, they are expected to do their first laps on May 16th when practice begins. Enerson will do his refresher. That's the plan, but they're still... But you got you to gotta meet that next deadline. And, and again... The more deadlines you don't meet, the fact that it was kind of non-committal as far as the open test and then it didn't happen, it's cause for concern. Absolutely. Even Marshall Pruitt basically said in one of his articles last week before the test that if R.C. Anderson can't show up and run laps, and it's not just about the driver and the car, it's the team and the makeup, the team makeup and the rapport, trying to build that and everybody's job and all this basically coming from scratch because you're elevating um, crew from what was formerly known as Indy Lights and and trying to find a way to do this. I just it, it's it's way too steep of a mountain to climb, in my opinion. And you're already behind the eight ball by not by not partnering with anybody. There's no technical alliance or anything. You're basically coming in as a new team to try to fill this uh, uh, up and and drink from a garden hose and. Or a fire hose, excuse me, whatever, whatever the <laughs> yeah, be fire hose. is, but uh, drink from a fire hose and try to make this happen. I just think there's too many hurdles to make this. Maybe that's the beauty of qualifying and bump day and all that stuff is maybe the the the, the most recent little engine that, or little team that could makes it happen. I just think they're the most likely to be the 34th qualifier at this point and missing the open test is a big part of that. Yeah, it doesn't give us confidence. Let's leave it at that. No, it does not. Not at all. It's Meanwhile, a lot of responses on the Long Beach up for sale, half of it up for sale. A lot of replies as far as, you know, could, could any car lose Long Beach to F1 or NASCAR? Um, Hickey93, Matt Hickey, friend of the show. Doubt if Forsyth still holds 50%. I don't think this is a doom and gloom scenario. Uh, Kyle underscore born even better NASCAR any car doubleheader at Long Beach. I don't think stock cars belong on street courses, but if it makes the Coliseum idea go away, I'm all for it. Hunter's way 67 step up. Roger. Don't let this one slip away about four to five years ago. The Long Beach city council looked into bringing F1 back and rejected that idea as it would have cost the city tens of millions of dollars. To get the area up to F1 standards plus the sanction fee too. Yeah, that's true. They did that look at a this good point very recently. Uh, Cat Bloss Indy, not really. This isn't happening for a few hundred reasons. Meanwhile, uh, MVF1 underscore, I don't see this happening. Why would IndyCar get rid of a crown jewel race? 
Well, it's not IndyCar. No, it wouldn't be IndyCar. IndyCar's decision. That's the thing. Another, Uh, yeah. Doesn't make sense for NASCAR F1 to get in bed with IndyCar businessmen. That's a fair point. Uh, Speed Freak Bash, paging Mr. Penske, Mr. Roger Penske to a red courtesy phone, please. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Uh, Eric underscore race review called this. In fact, discussed this with Tony Donahue uh, yesterday. Fontana won't be on next year's schedule. Future Chicago street race uh, past July is in question. NASCAR wants a points race in LA market. NASCAR wants a street race. Those are obvious solutions. And yeah, Chicago, as you mentioned, like that, that's not happening. That's a one and done. Right. Absolutely. If they even get the one, right? I, I think they get the one, but an unfathomably so that they would actually make it happen. They've done it somehow mm-hmm. once. And I think a lot of it is, is basically duping a lot of people and, and the mayor that's now the outgoing, outgoing. mayor uh, really dropped the ball on this one as well. I think it's going to make more people upset than happy in the, in the Chicago market. And somehow that's it's going to be a one and done. Politicians were completely unaware that this was happening. Yeah. Even though it's I, been all over the news. Yeah. Right. I, I guess when you're, when you're working with the day to day of, of running a city, sometimes there are certain things slip under the cracks, slip through the cracks, I guess. But with mayor Lightfoot, basically, being the point person for this through uh, working with NASCAR. Uh, she hasn't endeared herself to that city for a multitude of reasons, which also makes me think that that's a reason why this isn't getting more wide garnered support in Chicago is because she's disliked for other reasons. It's political. Everything's political in big cities like Chicago. And I think this is one of those things and why it's going to be one and done. But the fact that they got that one, that they're going to get this one is amazing in itself. Nick underscore booth 50. If anybody going to do it, it's got to be RP a uh, chat underscore 15 on Twitter. This is a legitimate issue. NASCAR will want to stay in the LA area and F1. I'm sure would swoop this up as well. Yeah. Look, all these are valid points, right? Yeah. And it's just how this plays out. I don't think we're going to get, this is not going to be like an immediate answer thing. This could go months and months and months and it's for sale, right? So it depends on, on the bids for this. So it'll be a process. We'll see how it plays out. It doesn't certainly give you a lot of confidence beyond the fact that Forsyth still holds 50%, and it's not going to give that up. And it's it's reported, right, by Marshall Perrier that Forsyth isn't interested in buying that other 50% stake. Is that correct? Or is that an option? I'm not even sure. <laughs> uh, he's not giving up that his 50%. He's not giving stake. up his 50%, but correct. I'm wondering if he would be interested in buying Kelvin Calcovin's 50%. He might. I don't know if that's an option Depends or not. Depends on, I mean, how much money he's made from the event, if he's willing to front that kind of money. At the very he, least. He's also 81 years old. Yeah. At the very least, though, there's no better time for this stake to be up for grabs for the Kevin Kalkoven estate family than now, in terms of how successful this event continues to be, and with record crowds turning out this past race as well. Now, now is the time to sell that 50% stake. They're going to make a lot of money, but who's going to pay for it? Could I think the, the best, the most ideal thing for IndyCar outside of Roger Penske and Penske Corp buying it would be uh, Forsyth buying the other 50% and holding the entire controlling stake in the event. So we'll, we'll see a lot of people think, look, it'll be someone from IndyCar buying it. Perhaps who knows? Yeah, it's, it's easy to say that when you have a billionaire running the, the, right. the series, but it's, it's a, not it's like an obvious choice, but yeah. also that doesn't mean that that's a given. There's no evidence that we've seen of Roger Penske investing millions of his own money 
into the series outside of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the level that that would need at least 15 million. Meanwhile, responses on the IndyCar for sale rumors again from an F1 person who's going to have, you know, some sort of stake in wanting to promote this because Liberty media would be the potential buyer. Uh, The Roth tweeting us when Liberty media bid for IndyCar at the time, the Penske bought the series. We should have seen this coming when like being a feeder series, but this would likely elevate the awareness of IndyCar in North America. Would it? Would it's, it's plain that Liberty media would want IndyCar to strengthen formula one in whatever aspect that looks does it stay the same does it become strictly a road course road and street course series is it basically turned into f2 america's type series all that is on the table for liberty media but they their their gem their jewel is formula one and they will do whatever they need to do with all of their other entities to make formula one better so how would that impact indycar I'm i'm not smart enough to know the answers but to me, I feel like it wouldn't be great. It wouldn't. It's not going to be positive. No. And if Liberty Media came in and said or or put into action that, no, we're not changing anything other than giving an infusion of serious amount of cash and investment into the series, then maybe that's good. But I just don't think that's the scenario that would happen if Liberty Media acquired the series. No. Uh, Scott Segrin, uh guess what F1 doesn't have and therefore doesn't need in a feeder series? Oval races. Last time an all-road street series spun off from any car, how did it work out? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, your brilliant plan was maybe the team owners will will um, bind together and uh, cr- cr- co- blah, 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 co- a create a rival series. Yes. Which is a perfect plan. Yes. We, we could split it's away. Brilliant. Split away from... Why didn't we think of that before? From IndyCar as it's sanctioned currently. But leave the 500 as its own standalone event. Yes. <laughs> so, so it sounds what, vaguely familiar for something. What, but What could go wrong? Yeah, what could go wrong? Uh, and, besides and everything. What, what, we're, what we're doing with that is we're giving John Oriovitz, uh some some more ammunition then to then write Indy Split 2. Oh, really? It's the Indy Split 3. Well, that's true. Indy In Split reality. 3. So the, 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 he could write a trilogy then. Yeah. Of indie splits. <laughs> uh, you posted this question upon her. Is there a scenario sometime in the future where Penske Corp sells IndyCar and retains IMS? It's no secret that one entity significantly finances the other. Lee J. Walker 4. Yes, but concern how that would affect the 500. Liberty and F1. I just don't see having interest and could either further reduce the month of May or hurt car count. NK Harden says maybe, but if it was sold to Liberty Media... Like it's been suggested, then the 500 is in serious trouble, and IMS doesn't have anywhere near the value it did before. A sale only makes sense if it elevates the value of IMS. Tyler underscore Allen says, unfortunately, yes. DC Soda, if IndyCar tanks, then what good is IMS? They both have been on each other quite a bit, I'd say. It seems very short-sighted, so of course it's a possibility. Haha. Here's the thing. There's no, there's no denying that IndyCar has tanked as far as popularity, relevancy and everything since this the second split if you will right uh between 95 and 96 yes. but the 500 while there was a, a brief period where it was maybe a lesser tier event compared to the brickyard 400 at ims right which would have been what the the late 90s up until 2008 and then the brickyard tanked right. after that ims is I, I think since reunification has kind of reclaimed that and really, since the countdown to the hundredth, yes, and 
since then has really, really re-energized uh, the event and the track and, and the fans and all that stuff. My question to you would be, how connected is the Indianapolis 500 with IndyCar? How viable is it to still have an Indy 500 without the series? Because I think a lot of people say, well, they're one and the same. And maybe they are. But I don't know what a Indy 500 standalone type event would look like without the rest of the series. Would be the same. I would agree. Then again, the majority of people think that that's the only event of the year that these drivers <laughs> yeah. drive in anyway. But what would it look like? Let's say Formula One bought IndyCar and, and what would they do with the Indianapolis 500? They're not getting rid of the Indianapolis 500. Is it just a, a special exhibition type race? Do they, do they somehow develop these teams have plenty of money? Do they somehow develop a Formula One speedway car just for the 500? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, do they run... IndyCar chassis just at the 500 for an exhibition of some sort for the 500? I don't know. All I know is I don't believe a sale is imminent and some F1 rider trying to promote some rumor (laughs) I'm not going to buy. But I will say that... I'll buy it if it's coming from IndyCar riders. Yeah. I will say, though, that there's no doubt that Liberty Media has had interest in buying IndyCar. It's made a bid for IndyCar. I imagine it still has interest in acquiring IndyCar, but what would IndyCar look like under Liberty Media? What internally are their plans for the series if they would at some point acquire it? Because you know those plans exist. They would have had those discussions when they made their initial bid, but what what does the series look like if tomorrow, for example, Liberty Media acquired IndyCar? And remember, they have a 30% stake in Shank Racing. They do. Uh, Tyler underscore Allen also had this ad. He said, I say, unfortunately, because while we're all a bit down on IndyCar leadership right now, and it's lack of motivation to market and grow an alternative owner could essentially kill the product because the two main buyers in my eyes are NASCAR and Liberty. Yeah, I would definitely agree. The biggest fear in all of this. And for as much as, as fans and even us to a certain extent, moan and groan about the lack of investment by Roger Penske and Penske Corp. Imagine what this series would look like without them at the helm. And I'm not even talking during pandemic because it definitely could have been um, devastating financially for the series. But even now, post pandemic, what would this series look like where we have date equity, we have healthy fields, we have so much positive is maybe that we take for granted at times. But what would the series look like without Roger Penske and his company? And that's the real concern here. Yes. Because that that's the, the glue holding everything together uh, as far as where things are at. So that wraps up the mailbag time for news and notes and plenty of things to get to this week. As always, first off, 100 Days to Indy premiere coming up Thursday. So tomorrow night as we record on, on a Wednesday, Thursday, April 27th, 9 p.m. Eastern time on the CW They'll uh, have a re-air on Sunday. I think it is at 8 o'clock. I believe so. Is the re-air on CW, 8 o'clock Eastern, if you missed it. Um, and then it'll show up on Vice on their digital channels as well a few days after the premiere. That's coming up. That's something to look forward to. Vice still working to secure this from Nathan Brown of the Indie Star International distribution of the show in all countries represented by the drivers. So the series confident that will come domestic premiere on Thursday. 
So just remember, folks, if, if the people that are listening to the podcast and us are not the primary, or it shouldn't be at least, the primary target audience for 100 Days to Indy. If it is, then it defeats the purpose of it, in my opinion. I fully agree. And it's not the the focus of anything. It's not us as fans. Shouldn't if you be. don't like it, don't worry about it. If random casual fans or casual people start tuning in to that series and then get into IndyCar, then mission accomplished. I don't think IndyCar is losing any fans with 100 Days to Indy, or at least it shouldn't, but it could gain fans. Yes, and that that's all that matters. Now, uh, more on IndyCar and Milwaukee as far as events moving forward. Um, as far as could IndyCar return to Milwaukee, uh, the journal Sentinel, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, SentinelJSOnline.com, um, their motorsports uh, writer Dave Coleman with another article about IndyCar being a possibility. And as far as track officials, um, what does it mean? Well, they said, and it needs as many races as possible to be able to continue the fan base and the excitement. This com- comes after they announced a title sponsor for their NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race the other day. So it's on the radar. They seem to have a renewed interest in motorsports. That's a positive. Um, will that mean anything long term? Don't know. Now but that truck race... Late August. Late August. Okay. 27th, I believe. Do you think we have a, an, a, a... If you had to bet right now, do we have an announcement before, during, or after that weekend that IndyCar is returning to Milwaukee? After, because it'll probably just... It'll... As far as the Truck Series race weekend? Yeah. So they're looking at the crowd for that fifteen to 20,000, which is pretty healthy right? for a Truck Series get, event. I think I if mean, you can get fifteen to twenty thousand for an IndyCar yeah. oval, that'd be good. Yeah, right away. <laughs> right. So I, I think that will come after though the the, the after, they, after I, the I, truck series event. Because here's the thing, IndyCar has the advantage of having date equity and a lot of tracks locked in for next year. So I think those negotiations will be ongoing. You know, unless something gets leaked right, you know, over the yeah. summer during a summer break. But I, I don't think we'll have an official announcement if that's what you're asking me. Until after the Clean Harbors 175, do the you Milwaukee f- Mile. Do you feel it's an inevitability that that announcement comes? Yes, I do. I agree. There's too much There's smoke. One. Yes, I do believe right now. And and I think it replaces. You think it replaces the second indie? I I think it replaces Gateway. Unfortunately, really. No? That's my fear. I don't want that to happen. That that's my fear. I wanted to replace it. You know, a second IMS road course race. If NASCAR goes back to the oval. At Indy for 2024, right? It doesn't make any sense to run the second IMS road course race for IndyCar. I hope that it doesn't replace anything yet. Um, I would keep the Indy road course race. If you're only adding one race next year, you keep the the second Indy road course race. As much as I don't like it, now say you add Milwaukee and Argentina or Mexico. Yeah, if you you're dump. Add, if you're adding multiple races, then I think you. You, the minimum should be seventeen. Yes. Um, and now you go from there. So I think if you're adding one to get to eighteen, you you don't subtract right away. Particularly an event that probably doesn't cost you much of anything because you're having it at the track or at, at IMS 
Most of the most of the teams are based there. It's like not a lot of overhead for that race. Uh, meanwhile, other news and notes items. This from Adam Stern, Sports Business Journal. Pinsky Entertainment executives starting to think through possibility of building some sort of mixed use development around IMS. That from Doug Bowles. Uh, you'll see that happening in the next year or two, at least conceptually starting to think through what do we do? Now, they bought up a lot of property around the track the last handful of years, especially since Pinsky took over. So this is not really a big surprise. What do you think? Is it a hotel? Hotel, is it, restaurants. Uh, restaurants. Yes. Is it where and where do you think that is? Is it on Georgetown? No. I think it's on 16th Street. Be on 16th? Mm-hmm. Outside of like turn two area. Because they bought up the, a lot of property around there. They also bought the up the, uh, uh, yes, but the golf, I'm talking the other side. So like where the IndyCar offices it. are, you know, that giant okay. parking lot, they bought up a, a lot of the space there. They could develop some of that. That's not much room though, is it? Um, they have parking and things out there. I mean, look, they're probably going to add a parking garage, I would assume, as part of a, a whole big project. So? so, all right. I, this Do you is think the hotel stuff, goes in there? Yes. I yeah. think this is the stuff they would have done, you know, if not for the pandemic happening. Right. Yeah. And they already would have had opened. Now, does it mean stuff inside the track? I don't know because there's not a whole lot left to develop inside. Yeah, and I don't. If th- the price is right, like we saw with BMW for yeah, the that's true. driving school. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you don't want to ruin the aesthetic that is the inside of the track. I don't think you're going to see any major developments in there. But outside the track, yeah, I think all 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 options are on the table. Meanwhile, for Detroit, free pre day will continue on the Friday of that weekend. Courtesy of Comerica Bank, not a not a big surprise. Looking forward to that event moving downtown. What that means for the crowd, what it means for the event. Uh, meanwhile, the Lionheart, which is a, a film on Dan Weldon, it focuses on Sebastian and Oliver, his sons, uh, following their father's footsteps racing. Uh, it'll be a part of Tribeca Festival in New York, June seventh through the eighteenth. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, being an official selection for that. So the film has been announced and will be part of the festival. Meanwhile, another former Indy 500 winner, Gordon Johncock, two-time winner. He got a Borg Warner, a uh, baby Borg, for the 50th anniversary of his first win as that approaches. So congrats to him. Going back to Sebastian Oliver, well, yeah. do you feel like there's too much attention being put on them as young Race car drivers? On one hand, yes. But on the other, because of their dad. I get it. Like, it, it's, it almost feels inevitable. Are we putting too much pressure on these kids to grow up to be race car drivers like their dad? Or at least perform as well? Because a lot of the hype around is they're very good at their yes. craft. They are very good. And I've seen now the shop now has a Sebastian and uh, Oliver. Oliver Weldon shirt, which yeah. like, like, I don't know, man. Like these are still kid kids. What the oldest is what? 13? I think so. Or, like, I don't know. Like, I know we want to see them succeed, but are we, are we, are we going past that a little bit by hyping these kids up so much? I just feel, I would feel weird if I'm walking around wearing a shirt of a couple kids that so many people have already thrust into the limelight because they're sons of, of the late Dan Weldon. Yeah. It's, it's such a fine line. Right. And I I think everyone wants to see them succeed. And I think it's maybe more so that 
and putting pressure on them to succeed because everyone wants to see them, you know, get to IndyCar and right. have great careers but can, and, and kind of like finish the story that their dad started that, that yeah. we didn't get a, get a, a rightful ending to. But at the same time, like internally, can we just let these kids be kids and now they're part of a, a movie and now you can buy their shirt and these kids aren't even in the road to Indy anywhere, let alone IndyCar. Like just, can we just back off them a little bit is kind of my, my feeling. I can't really disagree with that. I, I think just, everyone's rooting for them in the, in the sense that they want them to get to IndyCar. Whereas it, it, it feels less the like of a, Oh, you have a famous last name. You should be good at yeah. this. It's more that they are good at it. And they are so good. we, we want to see that through. But if they, if they don't perform to these expectations, then, then what are we saying to these kids? We, we've put a lot. Yeah. The, the, these people that, that loved Dan Weldon and now love these kids and now you can wear his shirt, uh, their shirt and, and watch a movie about them. What if they don't turn out? Plenty of success stories don't happen. And I just feel like maybe this is too much. I, it's okay to root for them without, you know, centering on them and making them a story and, and wearing their, their shirt. It's just, it's odd. I mean, can you buy, I'm sure you can. Can you buy Bronny James shirts? I'm sure you can. But I would feel weird wearing that. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, it's kind of weird to me. Hard to disagree there. Uh, some other notes. Flo Rida will be uh, in concert for the Music City GP this summer. That's a pretty big deal. That's I very mean, nice. They can get you know their pick of the litter when it comes to artists, but yeah. uh, that's a pretty big deal as far as Flo Rida. Uh, other notables on stage, uh, Vince Neil, Chris Jansen, Gavin DeGraw uh, as well. And let's see, Flo Rida will be the Saturday night on August 5th. Um, that's kind of the, the big headliner this year. So a bit different, less of the country music this year uh, and more really spread out as far as the artists and they kind of change their concept as far as what they're going to do for concerts for this year. An eclectic mix. Do you think some of that has to do with Iowa's setup with what Perhaps, they're doing? Perhaps, yeah. With their doing mainly country artists. Doing something a little different. Yeah. Well, in Iowa still is Ed Sheeran, remember? True, so, that's right. He's not uh, Pareto Autosports. They will not be in the Indy 500 as we know by now. So a couple of things Beth Perretta is saying, sometimes all the pieces aren't quite right. You have to make a tough decision, the right decision, but a tough one. The other thing is they had a Honda team approach them later in the process, mm. which is interesting because they're very tied to Chevy. Obviously didn't work out. Um, I hope it works out. The longer it goes without getting on track again, more concern, more I have. concern I have. I mean, if you're Beth Perretta, are are is everything ever aligned to be perfect for this? I know they have high aspirations. I absolutely do, and I get it, and they should. And it's a unique program that I want to work. But if you're waiting for quote unquote the perfect opportunity and you never get it, then does that opportunity pass you by? And that's the fear I think we both have. I think do you have to jump into this without you know, everything lined up, aligned the way you want it, just to say you're doing it and then build from there. I would imagine you, if you talk to Ricardo Junkos and he said, you know, jumping in without us completely ready, maybe wasn't the best, but we needed to do it to then get to where we are now. 
I just I I hope we see them. She said you should see us soon. I've I hope that so. before though, right? right? Like, you know, like even just three like, races. She, she said the, the, the uh, hundred days to indie film crew was set to to go fly into Zurich, right. Switzerland to to you know feature Simona, for yeah. example. So and they she had to. She said that some of the first people she said as far as when they said no to the Indy five hundred program was reaching out to them so they didn't fly out and didn't waste their plane tickets. And yeah, and you know, the longer Simona's out of a seat, you know, the more concerning it is, right? Yeah. I mean, I know they did Laguna they did what, Laguna Seca last year? They did a, a couple of races. I would hope that they do a couple at the end of this year. They uh, they at least need to keep their foot in the door. Yes, and that that's the thing is as far as so Last year, she did Road America, Mid-Ohio, and then, um, let's see, it would have been round 14, Music City GP, and then Laguna Seca. So, four races last year. It's not nothing, but you you would hope to see growth this year. Yeah. So far, we don't have anything, you know, pre-Indy 500. Yeah, we're not seeing it. You did the 500 in 21, and that was it. You didn't do the 500 last year, but you did four races. So that was something. And yet nothing in 2023 yet. Are are you regressing? You've gone from Indy 500 to not 500, but four races last year to not the 500, at least this year, and maybe not four races. Are you going in the wrong direction if you're Peretta? And that's, I think, the the fear we both have at this juncture. Meanwhile, a guy we can expect to see in the 500 In 2024, Kyle Larson, he'll be fitted for an IndyCar seat soon. Also plans to attend a practice day next month at IMS, that from uh, IndyCar on NBC. Attend a practice day, not be in a seat. Yeah. yeah. So let's Seat fitting is separate. Yes. Attend a practice day. Yes. Probably sit up on the box, get an experience that way, but I don't think we're going to see him in the seat this year. Meanwhile, the talent lineup set for Thursday Night Thunder on ESPN with SRX. It'll be Alan Bestwick as the play-by-play guy for ESPN. Matt Yoakum, the lead pit reporter. Joey Logano is a driver analyst. Darrell Waltrip is a driver analyst. And Connor Daly is a driver analyst. Now, they're they're rotating the different races, so Connor Daly will do the motor mile and Lucas Oil. So, Very nice. Uh, pretty good to have him back on there. He did, he, he did a good job. The last yeah, couple of years. That's one on thing. There. One place that SRX excels and doesn't skimp on is um, is their broadcast teams. Absolutely. And, and having the Thursday Night Thunder back, I mean, should be great for ratings. I'll, I'll be curious to see how that impacts it because they did really well year one. They did. On CBS, a little bit of a fall off year two, but yeah. not huge. And we'll see what it means. See if they can moving build. forward. Uh, Nathan Brown had a great article on Ryan Hunter Ray and the Indy Star. And one of the big takeaways is he was the sub for Alex Pillow, so much so that he had to be ready at all times for any race <laughs> weekend during the contract dispute to wow. be ready to fill in. That's uh, There were some dicey moments with that contract dispute, so I'm sure he was uh, feeling like it was an inevitability a couple times that he was going to get a call to be in the seat. But no, that didn't ever happen. But interesting to know that, yeah, at a moment's notice, he could have been called up. Tweets of the week time and a couple related to um, this is kind of more F1, but there are any car tie ins for these. So Roden track tweeted this. My worlds are colliding as rumors say Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso are dating. Then Nick Yeoman tweeting this in Yeoman on Twitter or to any car radio headline. Taylor Swift leaves Fernando Alonso for new boyfriend, Kyle Kaiser. <laughs> Funny. And then gin and the ginger. 
Alex Palou and Pato Award showing up to events with the other F1 team's development drivers. And it's the how do you do fellow kids meet. Very nice. <laughs> Good job. Now, we initially thought, wow, the age discrepancy between Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso is exceptional, but it's not really. What did you not. say? It was like seven years? So Fernando Alonso is 41. He turns 42 this year, about yeah. what I expected. And Taylor Swift is He's older than I thought. 33. She turns 34 in December. Yeah, so seven years. Yeah. It's not too crazy. No. But yeah, I didn't realize Taylor Swift was that old, but I guess she has well, been around eight, a while. Eight years. Yeah. 41, 33, and then yeah. 42, eight 34 at the end of the year. Yeah. So yeah. not not as crazy as it looks. Who knows if it's true, but maybe we'll see Taylor Swift at, uh, where are they at this weekend? Baku? Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see Taylor Swift. That would confirm it. If we I see doubt Taylor she'll Swift. be at Baku. Now, could she be at Monaco? Maybe. True. I know it depends on her tour schedule as well. Very true. Very busy with the tour. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. All right. Random split air driver of the week time. All right. We're going to cart. We're going to 1996. Now, this guy actually raced uh, in 1995 as well, but we don't talk about 1995 uh, because that was pre-split. Correct? Yes. 1996 was split year. So... This guy raced in 1996 as well with, uh, I think it was Dick Simon Racing, Uh and we're talking Carlos Guerrero. Not related to Roberto Guerrero. That was going to be my first question. The more well-known Guerrero. But Carlos Guerrero in 1996 competed in the first three races of the season for Dick Simon Racing in Miami, Rio, and Surfer's Paradise. The year before 1995, he finished 33rd. Uh, at the Indianapolis 500, he was eliminated in a crash on the first lap, becoming one of a handful of drivers to qualify for only one Indianapolis 500 and fail to complete a lap. His best career finish in cart was 11th at the Grand Prix of Long Beach in 1995. In 1996, he was 20th in Miami, 20th in Rio, and 14th at Surfer's Paradise. He was a multiple-time Formula 3 and Formula 2 champion in his native Mexico, never got to Formula 1 uh, and uh, he's a re- now a retired driver out of Mexico City, Mexico. But I thought uh, that stat, though, yes, from 1995, technically pre-split of not finishing a lap in his one and only Indianapolis 500. Three and done with Dick Simon Racing in 1996. Uh, the other drivers in the Dick Simon Racing lineup that year, um, I'm trying to find it and look and see. Um, was significant. Um, where did I lo- lost him? Oh, so it was Michael Jordan Jr. Uh, and Eliseo Salazar and Marco Greco. Those are all guys that are are great random split era drivers of the week, but they're like too well known. They're not random yes. enough. Eliseo Salazar, his son is in like one of the the latter series now, I believe. The really? son who, when he had, when he got the call from Foyt, you know, he's like it, like, uh, what is it, Babies R Us or whatever? Oh like yeah, yeah, Diapers yeah. for the kid they were expecting. Like that kid now is in one of the latter series. Really, also named Eliseo, I think. Eliseo Which is Salazar. Wild. But uh, yeah, that's a veritable who's who of mid to late '90s open wheel racing. Marco Greco as well. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Jordan, of course. Um. But yeah, this week's random split of the drive, Carlos Guerrero, three and done in 1996 for Dick Simon Racing, 
not again, not related to Roberto Guerrero, who is Columbia Colombian this week's random split era driver of the week. All right. We'll be back next week to recap the race at Barber, the children's Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. That'll be next week on the show. Thanks to Scott McLaughlin for joining us for Justin Kinney. I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been new track record podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.